Galatians, the book of Galatians, the letter. I titled this, they asked me for a title, and I gave them Freedom and Liberty, Galatians 4 and 5. Now, when I got into it, I was thinking this is, I was going to talk about something else, but I was so moved by this chapter. It's so full of so much here that I, I, you know, I don't, I think I veered off from where I was originally, but God is good. He has something for us to learn here. And in Galatians, Paul is writing to these people because they've given up their freedom. And you would think that if you had freedom, that you wouldn't give it up. Because if you have freedom, you know what it tastes like. You know what it's like to live in freedom, in liberty. Why would anyone want to put chains back on, right? Why would anyone want to go back to a life of constraint, right? We, I looked up the word freedom, the quality or state of being free. The absence of necessity, coercion, or constraint in choice or action. Liberation from slavery or restraint or from the power of another, that's independence. The quality or state of being exempt or released, usually from something difficult and unpleasant. So why would you want to go back to that and give up freedom? Now, I'm not talking about the freedoms that we have in our country that we're going to celebrate tomorrow on the 4th of July, our independence. That's all wonderful, and God God has led our forefathers to uh, create a document where we could live in freedom from tyranny. But what we're going to talk about here in Galatians chapter 4 is the freedom that Christ has given to us against legalism. The opposite here of freedom is legalism. And all of you as Christians, I don't know if you're all saved, but I would imagine most of you are to come on a Sunday night, July 3rd, that you're saved that you're born again. Now, we're here at church, and there are many uh, things that may cross our minds regarding legalism. And I, I say that because I grew up in church, and I always felt that there were legalisms going on. Not this church, a church I grew up in, which was a Baptist church. I don't know how many of you were Baptists growing up. I was Baptist. And I felt this pull, if, or if you can call it that, toward legalism for these little things, these minor things, but they weren't so minor to me when I was growing up in it. Do you realize that there are some Christians who believe they're so spiritual because of what they don't do? Right? I don't do this. I don't do that. They, they, they feel they're pretty spiritual for that. Or because they attend a certain church with many followers. We got some mega churches out there, folks. Mega churches. Thousands. We're talking 50, 60,000 people in attendance. And they feel spiritual because they go to this church or these churches. Or because they sit under certain popular pastors. How about that one? Oh, you know, I, sin, I, I go to Joel Osteen's church. Oh, I go to Rick Warren's church. You know, I'm holy. Really? Or how about this? Oh, I attend uh, um, this certain Calvary Chapel. You know, or I go to reality or whatever. It can happen. Or how about this? 
you know, I, I love to lead worship, uh, because they play music and they sing at church in today's modern worship. Oh, that, that makes us holy. We're modern worship. Maybe even because we only sing hymnals at our church, we're really holy. And even I've heard this one. Our women only wear dresses and our men only wear ties. That makes them really holy. Does it? No. And, you know, it seems funny, but you remember the poor widow in Mark chapter 12 who entered the temple. She put in two mites. And um, Jesus said, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. God saw in her heart what she was doing. It didn't matter it was just two little mites. He saw what she was doing. She put everything she had. And um, do you think it would have meant anything if the rich guys who were coming in and they were putting in big loads of money, big wads of cash, if they came in and they showed up dressed in rags so they can look spiritual? They can look like, oh, look at all this money I'm putting down. Look how holy I am. And I'm in rags, so you know this is everything I have. God knows your heart. God knows their hearts. It wouldn't make a bit of difference. It sounds funny, but this is, this is how we are. This, this letter is written for us, right? This whole Bible is written for us. This letter is written for us. Paul writes a letter to the Galatians who started in faith, and allowed themselves to be convinced that they should be going back to the practices of the Jewish religion. They weren't even Jewish, but they needed, they needed to practice now that they were saved uh, Jewish uh, religion. And Paul says to them, you were set free, but now you want to put chains back on. <laughs> you know, what's wrong with you? We can all fall into that same trap if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to move within us through God's Word. Why start creating new rules, new rituals, new commands for Christians to obey if it's not in the Word? If it's not in there, why do that? A Spirit-led lifestyle, that's freedom. A Spirit-led lifestyle. We need to challenge ourselves to live deeper lives for Christ. And not to major in these minor things. Let's go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Let me fix this here. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, verse 7, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Paul begins with an illustration for the Jewish people. Paul uses an example that everyone will understand, especially for those in the Jewish community and the Roman community of that day. A servant and a slave. A servant or a slave is told what to do and is looked after by the master. A child is told what to do and is looked after by the master. So they're the same. Until the day that he can rule, the child can rule over the master's house when he inherits it, right? But he's not going to do any of that when he's a little kid. Eventually, the child grows up. Then he can enjoy the life that his father has inherited to him. 
and rule responsibly all that he owns. The slave or the servant, there's the difference right there. He never graduates to that. He stays in his lowly position. He stays there. There's the difference. After he grows up. And I think that's a big key right there that Paul is talking about. He's telling these uh, Galatians, wait a minute, you guys grew up, you were mature. Why are you going back to immaturity and going back to where you cannot enjoy these things that God is inheriting and giving them to you? Verse 3, Paul is saying, this was the condition of the Jews under the law. He's comparing them to children being ordered around by the law, just like slaves. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know any slaves. I don't know anybody who was a slave or owns any slaves. All I know is, you know, American history, TV, and what they've shown about slavery in America, the bad situation that it was, um, and what the Bible refers to. Um, and that's not what the Bible refers to as a slave or a servant. I mean, the Jews weren't kidnapping people from another race or forcing them to be their slaves, but a servant within a household was not inheriting any of the family fortune. That for sure is strength. And that never happened, but well, we'll see. We'll go on. Verse 4. The fullness of time he mentions. The time when God would commission his son, when everything would be finalized. God sent his son through a human. Here we see God's humanity. Even though he was God, he had a body. Paul also indicates that Jesus was a man, a human, born of a woman, referring to also referring to his mission to fulfill all righteousness. He told Thomas, remember, touch my hands, feel my side. He was real. Jesus hungered. Jesus thirsted. He got tired. He bled. He even died. 100% human. So he had fulfilled all righteousness, and he did it through perfect obedience. Remember Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist? John tried to prevent him from, uh, from Jesus actually baptizing, I mean, from John baptizing Jesus. And he says, you're coming to me? Because John knew who he was. And Jesus said to him, permit, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus had a mission. He needed to fulfill all righteousness. All those things from the Old Testament, the law, he needed to fulfill it. Paul is saying that a true son of the family receives an inheritance, an equal portion with all family members. A slave would get nothing. But you are no longer slaves. Now the Jews no longer have to be a slave to the law. But adoption was made possible through Jesus. The servant in the home gets to become family. Imagine that. A loving father loves a servant so much that he would send his only begotten son that through him adoption is made possible. Not only are you now in the family, but he gives you his spirit into your hearts Right? He says, so you could say, Abba, Father. You can call him Dad. He says, oh, we're close now. You're no longer ser servant. You could call me Dad. Daddy. That's how much he loved us. And we now have that adoption. He says, in his time, the fullness of time, when Jesus came. It was his time. All that preparation of the Old Testament, the prophets, and then it was time. And then there was a time also for our lives where Jesus touched our lives. He touched our hearts right on time. He had a perfect time for that when you were ready. He knew when. He knew where. 
He knew where you were at. And then he presented his love. And you turned to Christ. And you gave your life. It was in his time. Remember Matthew? Back to John the Baptist. It was in that time. He said, we need to fulfill this right now. Now is the time. They understood what Paul was talking about. Now, practicing religion, legalism. Practicing religion can have some very practical and tangible evidence. Almost to say that it proves your faith. You can actually measure physically how spiritual you are, right? Isn't it something that the Pharisees were doing too? Hoping now, hoping how religious they were by completing more and more religious rituals and then showing them off publicly. How about us? Do we do that? Do we show off religiously how holy we are because of what we do? Oh, I raise my hands like this. Oh, oh I raise my hands like this. You know, oh, I'm more holy. Or, you know, the... God knows your heart. He knows why you're raising your hands. Or you come in a tie and a suit because you want to show how holy you are. It, it, that's What about your heart? That's what's, what really matters. I keep remembering that, that time when uh, that story that Pastor Chuck gives about the hippies coming into the church back in the 60s and they had just laid out new carpet and everything. And the elders said, hey, the hippies, are, they're all barefoot and they're bringing in dirt to our new carpet. We got to do something about it. Make them do, you know, wear some shoes or something. And Pastor Chuck's like, just tear the carpet out. Who cares? We can't let these little things get in the way. God knows your heart. The law is to be obeyed. Like if you drive past the speed limit, <laughs> you're going to get caught. If you get caught, now, I don't always get caught, but Lord forgive me, I drive too fast sometimes. If you get caught, you're going to get fined and you're going to pay. You can fight it in court. You have that right, but you're, you're guilty. They caught you. You're going to have to pay. You could even plead the mercy of the court in this free country of ours. But in the end... You're going to have to pay. You were busted. You were fined. You got to pay. The law, that's the law. It, you have to obey it. And in, the, in religion, you create all these things that you have to obey. You're a slave to it now. Now, we were just to say, you know, tonight, that next Sunday, um, you, you have to wear suits. The men have to wear suits. And all the ladies have to wear dresses down to their ankles. You have to or you're out. Now, that was a little bit of the church I went to. A little bit. You have to live that way. If you're going to start laying down those laws, you've got to live it. And I remember I, was, uh, I became like the youth uh, director for this small church. And we, we, we had to walk by the sanctuary to get to our youth room. And there were these big windows so they could see us coming in. And the elders are sitting here and the young people are going back there. And they see us coming in with, sh with T-shirts and shorts. It was, you know, Sunday night. We had sandals on. And they're like, oh, they couldn't believe it. There was such shock. And, and sure enough, one of the board meetings, that came up. The youths are coming in with T-shirts and sandals. Ooh. And, and I argued with them about it, but if you're going to lay down these laws, you've got to live it. There's freedom. We don't have to live that way. We don't have to chain ourselves down to these minor laws. Now, Paul, in chapter 3, he states that the law 
was just the, the Jewish, the, the tutor, their guide. It was a tutor. The Jews were under the law in preparation for the coming Messiah, preparing to help them live godly lives and be examples of holy living to a lost world around them. Loving God within their daily lives, trusting God, having a close loving relationship with God. But after Jesus, they had no more need for the tutor. He had come. The Messiah had come. They were free. They had no more need for the tutor. And that's what Paul is trying to share with them. In verse 8 through 11, But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn back to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Verse 10, You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. The Galatians were observing the Jewish calendar. They weren't Jewish. Some of them weren't Jewish anymore. Some of them were never Jewish. But now they're starting to observe the Jewish calendar, the Sabbaths, the festivals, the seasons. And Paul fears for the ones who profess to be Christians yet seek man's favor or a means uh, for self-importance. And that's a scary thing. For man's favor. Do things, not for the Lord, but do things because maybe Xavier will see us, you know, and we're going to do things for him because we, we want his favor or something like that. No, that's, that's wrong. You're doing it for the Lord because you love him. That, that's the heart. Again, back to the heart. You're not doing for your own self-importance that maybe you're going to move up and get, get promoted or something in the church. No. The Galatians, before they were Christians, had been worshiping idols and practicing pagan worship. And why would you want to go back to that kind of forced rituals of any kind? Go back to that kind of deal where you had to be there. They're kicking you out of the church They're taking you out of the temple, you and your children. Like I said, I used to get into these arguments with the elders of uh, the church growing up, the Baptist church, about the youth group. And it was, was, to me, it was religious bondage. And uh, when I first saw and I was introduced to Xavier, I was in high school, and he came to a Bible study in in our music room at, at Wilson High School, and and I was told about the church that oh they just have a guy up there and a guitar and he's just doing worship, and and then he does a Bible study and then you go home and I was like oh sign me up I want to go there, I wanted to go there I didn't oh you mean I didn't have to sit through Sunday school and then and then sit through the prayer and then go through the testimonies time and then do the offering and then do special offering and then uh, have the then you sit through the study after that the sermon it's not a study it's a sermon it's like okay just just going to study about god and you worship with with this long-haired hippie guy john marini with a guitar <laughs> that was cool so well that was that was some freedom for me but what about Ash Wednesday, what about Lent? How about the ones that say you're only saved because, because you, you, you have the evidence of speaking in tongues? What about that? See, we could do it too. <laughs> Verse 12 and 15. You see, Paul is saying to the Galatians, he, goes, he says, be like me. Verse 12 and 13. Did we read that? 12... Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. 
And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. He says to the Galatians, be like me, free from the law. Because he was entrenched with it, right? He was in it. He was, Paul was saying he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the law. But he says, be like me. I left it behind. I'm not carrying it around anymore. I'm not trapped into the Judaism anymore. They were, and, and they were even never even Jewish, some of them. Paul became as them, as a Gentile leaving his Jewishness behind. They're now turning to it. How they have forgotten the love of God. He says it doesn't hurt them. He, he fears for them. He says, I know your love because I remember when I was sick and my eyes were, were grossed and grotesque. You didn't turn me away or rejected me. You loved me. And some of you even told me you would pluck your eyes out for me. I know your love. So you have the love of God. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. They weren't rejecting him. It was a very spiritual thing. Sixteen. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and in and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. He's like, you're hating? Don't hate me because, don't make me your enemy because I'm telling you the truth. The truth hurts. Now, I've sat under Xavier, right where you're sitting, for the last 30 years, and he says things that sometimes hurt. He doesn't, filter it down and sometimes you think he may be missing a filter but he doesn't water it down and the truth hurts but he's not your enemy right he's saying what's in this book and so paul is saying the same thing look at i'm telling you the truth don't don't hate me for it i'm not your enemy i'm not the one that you should be fighting against the truth hurts and Paul wants to clear up his doubts that he has for the people that he spent time with, the people that he loves. He goes, I have doubts about you now. I'm, I'm really afraid you guys are going off the deep end. All that work that we spent together, it's all for nothing. Isn't it a shame when, I don't know if you serve in ministry, but there have been people who have been serving here, and then they... They disappear, and then you hear that they're in the world or they're compromising in something in the world. And, man, that's sad. It, it really hurts the heart. You want to go over there and shake them. Like, what's wrong with you guys? You were sitting with me. You heard the same truth. We lived life together for a while. We did ministry together. How could you be doing this? And it hurts. And it's something that Paul is saying. You know, this is something that can happen to us and we have to be aware that's why it's here for us in the writing here verse 21 tell me you who desire to be under the law do you not hear the law for it is written that abraham had two sons okay so he's saying look at you know the law, you're, you're, getting, you're, you're getting close to it. Um, do you know what it's saying between the lines? Are you seeing, are you hearing this, the law? 
And it's, it's deeper than that. He's saying, look deeper into it. Hear what it's saying. The deeper meaning. And then he says, let's, let's, let's go right to it. Right to the heart of it. The deeper meaning of Abraham. He goes right into Abraham. Abraham's promise. And right away he starts. For it is written that Abraham, verse 22, he had two sons. The one by a bondwoman, the slave. The other by a free woman, his wife. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And he of the free woman through promise. Who we're talking about here? We're talking about Ishmael versus Isaac. Both from Abraham. There's no uh, controversy there. They're both from Abraham. Verse 24, he says, which things, which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, the maidservant. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, the correspond, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now, at first, I, I read this. I was like, what, 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 what? what? <laughs> Let me go back again. So the true story of Isaac and Ishmael, it represents a deep spiritual truth that, Abraham, that uh, Paul is talking about here, which Paul explains. He starts to explain it. The two women, they represent two covenants, or you could say two promises. Hagar, the covenant of law, the law. Sarah, the covenant of grace. It's interesting to note, and I was studying this, that the law was given right at Mount Sinai. Remember Moses? The Arabs called Mount Sinai the rock. The word Hagar in the Arabic language means rock, where the law was given. The, go- the covenant given at Mount Sinai produced slavery. So Hagar, a slave girl, was a fitting type of the law. Hagar represents Jerusalem, the capital of the Jewish nation, and the center for the unsaved Israelites who were still seeking to obtain righteousness by keeping the law. They're going to keep their law. They're going to continue. They refuse Jesus, right? They refuse Jesus and they would rather stick to the law. So they're still trying, to this day, still trying to find righteousness through the law. And purposely staying in chains of bondage. Even though they can be free, they're going to stick to their law. These Jewish people in bondage, Paul links the unbelieving Israelites with Hagar rather than Sarah, who they revered. They said, no, you're not from Sarah. You're from Hagar. And with Ishmael, rather than with Isaac. Ouch. That, that hurt them, like, to hear that. But no, 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 they're going to say, we're, 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 we're linked with Isaac and, and Sarah. Say, no, you're not. You're linking yourself in chains with Hagar and Ishmael. You don't want to be free. The freedom comes with the promised ones. Who is the promised one? Isaac. 
through Sarah and Abraham. And that is the direction to go. Verse 26 and 28, he says, Jerusalem above. He's talking about the heavenly Jerusalem above, heavenly. The capital city of those who are justified by faith. The mother of all believers, Jew or Gentile. And then he quotes Isaiah 54. The prophet says that the one who is barren, Sarah, will have more children than the one that can bear children, Hagar. Now, how is that possible? It sounds like that's, that's not even possible, but only God. The children of promise include the Jews and the Gentiles who come to God by faith because they believe the promise like us. Many more than the children of Hagar, who Isaac was a child. Isaac was a child of the promise, and that's us. So that includes even us, and we weren't even ever Jewish. Verse 29 to 31, you know that it still stands true today that the world is going to persecute the believer. Let's read verse 29 to 31. But as he was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free And so he mentions the persecution between those who believe and those who don't. And it started with Ishmael. He was was persecuting Isaac. And remember uh, Sarah, she says, Abraham, take this woman and her son and cast them out. Get rid of them. I can't have them here. They were mocking Isaac at the dedication. And so Abraham listened to her and had to get her out. But also in here, another deeper meaning to this is because Isaac is a spirit and Ishmael is the flesh, we have here the battle between our flesh and our spirit. This is always going to exist until the day we go to be with the Lord. This battle of your flesh and the spirit. And what is, uh, what does it say in Romans? O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Body of death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have that freedom. Again, to rest on the promise of God in our battle in the flesh. But also to note that a persecution will come. You're trying to live a life, godly life at work, at school, with your friends. They're going to make fun of you. But know that they realize who you are. And they may even give you some type of respect, like, i sorry I said that, you know, in your presence. Sorry that, uh, you know, oh, put that beer away. Here comes, here comes uh, Mickey, you better put this beer down here because he's a Christian, you know. I don't, I don't want to offend him, you know. But they know your, your, your presence. They know who you are. They know you have something different. They may not be turning their lives over to Christ. They may not be listening to what you have to say spiritually from the word or as you witness to them. But they know who you are. So that's the end of chapter 4. Let's jump over to chapter 5. He continues here as he's talking about freedom from the bond, the bondage of the law. He says, now we have to live it. 
Now we're going to have to live it in chapter 5. He said, you know, not to be tangled up with the yoke of bondage. The yoke was what they used to put on the oxes, right? They would tie two oxes together with this yoke, and they'd go down the, the field plowing away, and you were tied to that. One ox just couldn't go take off that way. They had to go together. They were tied together. And he's saying, don't get tangled up in this, this yoke of bondage, the law, religious rituals. Live free in liberty. You've been given liberty. But then in verse 5, he talks a little bit about the responsibility that we have in this liberty that we have as Christians. Now, he starts talking about circumcision here because the Judaizers in Galatia, they were talking to the church, the Galatians, that they needed to be circumcised. That if they were really holy and if they really believed in God, they would be more more Jewish to be circumcised. You, does everybody know what circumcision is? <laughs> the cutting of the foreskin for the male child. And that was something that Abraham said was the law. You have to do this. This is what differentiates between the world and us. This was the law. Every male child had to be circumcised. And so these new Christians who were they're calling themselves Judaizers, they wanted to be more Jewish as they believed in Christ. And they were saying to the Christians, oh, you got to circumcise your kids. It's the law. And Paul is saying, well, why are you doing that? And they were believing them. They were, they were going their way. Now, I know that even today, there are religions, Christian religions, who say that their children need to be circumcised. They, they don't. This is religion again, and it's a law. It's the law that is binding them, entangling them up in this yoke. If you want to be circumcised, then you better keep the whole law, all of it. That's what Paul says right here in chapter 5. Okay, you want to you wanna practice this one part of the law? Fine. But if you do that, I know the law, and it says you better keep it all. You can't just pick little laws to, to obey. And we can't do that either today. You can't just pick a law that, okay, I'm going to drive 55, but I don't, I don't believe in, in, uh, in stopping at stop signs. I'm not going to choose to obey that law. No, you have to obey all of it. You, they make you take a test, and you're going to pass that test, or they're not going to give you your license. Although I think some people are passing their tests without, I don't know how they get licenses. Anyway, um, he says, all right, you want to keep the law? Then you better do all the law. But know this. He says in chapter 5 that if you're going to do that, you're leaving Christ behind. You're leaving the grace behind because Christ died for you. He freed you up from all of that. The Messiah has come. You don't need that, but you're rejecting him by saying that you're going to keep this one little law. Because you, you can't keep one little law. You've got to keep it all. And you're going to reject God. You're leaving Christ behind. Verse 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you, that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. 
you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. You've taken the grace of God and you've thrown it out, he's saying, so that you can go obey and go be religious. We leave freedom for slavery. Why leave grace for the law? Verse 5. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Your rituals and your religion, your practices, your festivals, your parties, your gatherings, your music... How about your style of worship? Do they do anything for you? If you're believing that these things are the way to grace, that these things are growth in your life, uh, you're missing the boat. You're, You're creating new laws for yourself to live under a chain. You start creating chains that you're locking yourself into. And look at verse 6. But, right, faith, faith, that, that's nothing that you can hold on to like this pulpit right here. Faith, just believe it. God made it so easy for everyone. He said, just believe it. I'm not going to tell you, you got to go kill a little spotless lamb anymore and bleed it out and do all these sacrifices. Just believe It only takes a little leaven to leaven the whole lump. It's just a little bit makes the bread rise. Verse 10, whoever did this to you is going to get it. Is that what he says in verse 10? He says, I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. (laughs) Paul's saying, all right, I don't know who did this to you that you're listening to back there in Galatia at your church, but he's going to get it. God's going to get him. Verse 11, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? See, he's being persecuted by his Jewish fellow members and, and they're persecuting him. And so they know he's, he's not preaching circumcision. That it doesn't matter to him that they be circumcised or not. And so they, they oppress him. They, they persecute him. Then the offense of the cross has ceased. See, the, the offense of the cross... The cross is going to offend people, even the religious. Because they know you have freedom. There's liberty that's been given to you, and you don't have to listen to their little religion, their little rituals and things. Now, I was never Mormon, but I know some, some of the Mormon practices. It's pretty religious. There's a lot you have to do. They have to go on these uh, missions. And the offense of the cross. You tell them about Jesus and that they're free. They don't have to do all that stuff anymore. And that offends them. It's the offense of the cross. Verse 12. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. (laughs) It's funny. He's talking about circumcision. The cutting away. He goes, these guys need to be cut away. We need to get rid of these guys. Verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. See, you're going to be free to do things 
And that freedom should have some responsibility. When we take communion once a month up here, Xavier always talks about how those who were taking communion and they were drinking too much wine and they would have a big cup and the cups were getting bigger and they were starting to get drunk to take communion. And they had liberties. Nobody was saying anything to them. It's like, no, you're taking an opportunity for your flesh because you like to get drunk. Don't let your liberties give you an opportunity for your flesh. In fact, we as believers are told to be more responsible than that, to be an example to those and not to cause others to stumble. So you may have liberty to drink, but you cause somebody to stumble, you use your your freedom for the flesh. Um, I was never a beer drinker. But one time I did drink my first drink sip of beer when I was in high school. And there was a lot of party animals in the band. I was in the marching band. And so the teachers didn't see what we were doing. I'm walking up this staircase. And I shouldn't have been walking with this guy because his name was Floater. I shouldn't have been walking with Floater. It's bad news, that guy. Somebody named Floater is a bad news. Anyway, and he has, we used to have these long marching band hats. So he's hiding a beer in there. And he's telling me he has one. And I'm like, no, because I was a church kid. I, I, I never even had a sip. I have no idea what they taste like. And he's bugging and pestering me and pestering me. Come on, take a sip. Come on, take a sip. And um, I'm like, okay, fine. And I, I grab it and I take a little sip and I give back to him. Like, Ugh, it's awful, right? I get a tap on my shoulder. My big brother is standing right behind me. He's like, come here, we're going to talk. You know? and, and he was with somebody who was a new Christian. And, and they both saw me do that. Now, I had freedom and liberty to do that. I wasn't going to get drunk. I was just going to just take a little taste. But I caused somebody to stumble. That was bad. We have responsibility with our freedom, our liberty. Now, you're going to go around to a, a, a bar or something and, and look around everywhere, every time you get there just to make sure, you know, just forget it. Just leave it. In your responsibility for freedom, just leave it behind. All right. Verse 14 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. You're going to eat yourselves alive. You're just going to tear each other up with all your liberties. Verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts, against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish verse 18 but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law you're freed from it we're still talking about the law here, even though we're talking about the battle of the spirit and the flesh. Because your flesh in your newfound freedom is going to want to do a lot. But he's saying, walk in the spirit. You won't have to worry about those fleshly things. Just walk in the spirit. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. And here comes his list. It's very evident to see all these things, which are adultery, 
fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, like just useless arguments that go on and on, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, whoa, hidden agendas, dissensions, heresies. Uh, Xavier Locks likes to, and he has, he has driven it home to us, all the heresy that is out there. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you have this found freedom, but you're going to be doing these things. It's over. You're also leaving Christ behind in your freedom. You've allowed the, the flesh to come in. Verse 22, but the spirit of the truth, here is now the spirit. It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There's no law for those things. You're not under bondage by doing those things. Verse 24, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. John 1, 11. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Right? Because they wanted to stay in the law. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you believe and you now walk in the Spirit. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So we could live this Spirit-filled life in freedom, responsible freedom, the liberty that we have, it can be done. There's no law that's going to chain you down. Like in verse 22, there's no law on these things, on love and joy and peace. This is the freedoms that we have to enjoy. This is the freedom that we could share with those around us as we share Christ. Because when people start seeing that you're a Christian they start saying right away, oh, you live one of those lives. Can't do this. Can't do that. That's all they think about. That's all they say. Oh, you're just one of those who don't do this and don't do that. Think you're all holy because you don't do this and don't do that. No, no, no. You don't understand. You don't understand the freedom that we have in Christ because I don't have to do those other things. I don't have to go talk to a priest and confess. I don't have to celebrate Ash Wednesday and put these things on my forehead. I don't have to go on a two-year mission trip for the Church of Latter-day Saints. I don't have to go door-to-door -to, -door to get saved, to get 
God's love. All I have to do is believe, and then you're free. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, your goodness and your grace upon us, Lord, how you have saved us and given us freedom and liberty to live a life in you, love, in love and joy and peace, long-suffering, with kindness and goodness, with self-control. And Lord, I pray that this freedom we have, Lord, that we would be responsible with it, knowing that there are those around us that we could be a witness to, to share your love to them, that they can be free from the religious works of the flesh, that they could be free from, from the bondage of the law. God, I pray, Lord, that, Father, you would continue to show us who you are through your word. There's, just, there's so much about you. It's just so awesome. And so we thank you, Lord. If there's anyone here who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior, you have not asked him into your heart, you could do that tonight. You say this prayer. In Jesus' name, come into my heart. I want to live for you. I repent from my sin. I confess my sin. I accept you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Lord, we ask if there's anyone here who prayed that prayer, Lord, that they would live a new life in freedom in you, Lord. We thank you for your love. We worship you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.